Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. The New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, and if you wouldn't mind, look with me in chapter number 3. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 3. The Apostle Paul has taken pen and paper under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and has written a letter to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth has had lots of problems and lots of issues, and this letter is meant to address many of the issues that this church is facing. As we have covered already in chapter 1, we saw that there are many divisions in the church. And we saw the divisions of the church come because people's eyes were not on the Lord. As we went through chapter 2, we saw that Paul had determined that he wasn't going to use all of his uh, speech classes, all of his public speaking classes, all of his eloquence, all the little things that he did. He was going to determine just to keep it simple, depend upon the spirit and just preach the word of God and let God do his own work. Just preaching nothing except Christ and Christ him crucified. And now we continue with this as the apostle Paul has asked all the church to gather together into an assembly, the church of Corinth. And as the people are assembling together, they have someone who's reading the letter. He is now going to address something very important to the life and health of that local church, the church of Corinth. We find our way into the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and if you don't mind noticing with me, starting at verse number 1. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse Verse number one, the Bible says this, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he build thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but at he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy." Who temp, which temple 
ye are. And if you have been marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 9. Notice the phrase, for we are laborers together. We are laborers together. And with the Lord's help, we want to see this emphasis here that we are laborers together. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this passage, we just ask that you would just give us much wisdom and much discernment as we go through here, that we could see it in its context. We could see its implications, see what you're trying to get across, that we could apply it unto ourselves, Lord. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we're just asking that you would just let it be clear. Let it be understood. Let your Holy Spirit get his own work accomplished. And that we, just your vessels, ready to be used. And we can trust you. Do a work that even beyond this church to those who are listening, that you could draw them near and that their eyes can be upon you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the Apostle Paul has addressed in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, there are divisions in the church. If you don't mind, let's start off by explaining all this, seeing the carnal hindrance. The carnal hindrance. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in chapter 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. Verse number three, it says, for ye are carnal. Now, notice this, if you don't mind. As we continue in the context of chapter two, the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter two lists two types of people. In chapter two, we have what is called the natural man, the natural man. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 14 of chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man. As we go on in chapter 2, we see uh, verse number 15, but he that is spiritual. And then as we come into chapter 3, we could see the third person mentioned here, the carnal man. And so the Bible here lists that there are three types of spiritual states of a person. You have, first of all, the natural man. The natural man is the unsaved person. The unsaved person, according to the Bible here in this passage, cannot discern spiritual things. They cannot understand spiritual things. In fact, the Bible in 1 Corinthians uses the word foolish, which is the equivalent of our word stupid. They think the natural man, because he cannot receive things that are spiritual, thinks that the things that Christians are doing is stupid. It doesn't make sense to them. The Bible says for the foolishness of preaching, the stupidness of preaching, that the lost world looks at preaching and says, how am that supposed to work? They cannot understand the spiritual nature of God, that God is doing a spiritual work, even doing stuff like preaching. They cannot understand. They cannot discern. We know that the Bible describes a second person, which would be a spiritual man. The idea of a spiritual man has two uh, qualifications, two aspects. The first is that the spiritual man has come to know Jesus Christ as their savior. But in addition to that, the spiritual man is someone who is on purpose surrendered to God, uh, dead to self, leaning towards God, letting God grow them, let God work them. He is someone who is pointing and looking to the Lord and trusting God to work. This is what we hope most Christians would be, that they come say, Lord, I want you to grow me. God, I want you to teach me. God, I want you to move me. In fact, <laughs> we're not going to turn there, but this is a verse we've encouraged most of our people to memorize, John seven seventeen, which says, if any man will do his will, he can know the doctrine, whether I speak of God or whether I speak of myself. A spiritual man is not looking for himself, but he is willing to say, God, if you show me in a way that I know is, comes from you, this is what I should do, I'll do it. They're willing to obey if God directs them. Does that make sense? 
Which brings us to the third person. The third person is the carnal man. The carnal man is saved, but he is not willing to allow God to direct him because he's worried about himself. He's looking at himself. He's pleasing himself. He is not spiritually discerning. He's saved, but not spiritually discerning. Notice if you don't mind in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, as we see that since. Notice that this man is not spiritually discerning. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. So let's clarify what we're talking about. In chapter 3, when it's talking about the carnal man, he is not talking about a lost person. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, I'd speak to you as babes in Christ. A babe in Christ is someone who's accepted Christ as their Savior. They just haven't grown. And so he says, I can't speak to you as spiritual because you are not seeking for God. You're seeking yourself. Instead, I have to speak to you as a spiritual baby. You're still saved, but you don't have spiritual sense. You're not able to digest and understand the things I'm trying to teach you. I would love to tell you great, wonderful spiritual truths. I'd love to talk to you more about the deeper things. But I have to speak to you as spiritual babies because that is all that you can handle. Notice in verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither are you uh, yet are you able? So here it's giving an illustration that we could understand. Let's just say that one of us had a brand new baby we brought home from the hospital. Oh, so cute, wonderful. And you take the baby home and you say, all right, well, it's time to go ahead and prepare you right away. So we cut some steak up and say, here, gum on this for a little while. Is that what you give to a baby who just came home from the hospital? No, because there's a couple problems with that. First of all, it doesn't have the munchers to be able to chew up the steak, but then its body is not able to process that steak. It needs milk until the rest of its body is able to grow and mature to be able to handle more meat. This is why they have a process. They tell you, you know, for this length to this length, you give nothing but milk. And then you start adding some milk, uh, some rice to it to thicken it up. And now you start giving them more substance. Then you start getting some soft, you know, they have a whole process. Why? Because they're not able to have McDonald's fries. They cannot handle pizza at pizza. They cannot handle something that we may think is good. They will choke on it. They cannot process it. So the Apostle Paul, he says, listen, I'd love to write a letter and I'd love to take some time to talk to you about some great truths. I'd love to talk to you more about the doctrine of Jesus Christ coming back. I'd love to talk to you more about this doctrine here and the intricacies like the book of Roman about salvation. I'd love to write to you about that. Oh, I'd love to talk to you about more about the joy of the Lord like I did to the Philippian church or he will in the future. He said, I'd love to talk to you more about these things, but I can't because you're carnal. Notice in verse number three, for ye are yet carnal for whereof, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as man? All right. So it always helps when the Bible defines itself. Because as a preacher, I could say whatever I want and people don't care. But when the Bible says, how do you know there's a carnal Christian? Envying, strife, divisions. When they have a problem with biblical authority, there's carnality. There's issues. When they have a problem with their pastor, there's problems, there's issues. But you don't know what my pastor's like. I don't care. If you have a problem with your pastor and there's issues and you're not taking care of it well, you're carnal. You're not spiritual. Now remember the context of this is in chapter one, there was divisions. You had a group of people that said, I'm a Paul. This is what our founder did. This is how it's always going to be or how it's been. And we're not going to change. This is how we're always. Then you had the Apollos group. The Apollos group had that eloquent preacher, had that uh, internet preacher, your favorite evangelist, the one that spoke well. Now, remember, as we had explained earlier this morning, that Paul was very eloquent, but he chose not to. He chose to be simple. 
partly because they're simple people. They thought they were smarter and more spiritual than what they were. Paul recognized that, so he just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. He kept speaking. And we want more deeper things. We don't want the same old message over and over. We want, why doesn't Paul give us something more substantial? Paul is saying, because you can't handle it. So instead, they like their favorite internet preacher. He speaked higher. He speak more intellectual. He spoke to the deeper things. They wanted the knowledge. And so they had the group that says, we stand with Apollos. We think that we should be able to have more interesting preaching. We think that we should have more history. We should have more this and more that. We like how Apollos preaches. Then you had the group that said, I'm of Cephas. Cephas was a different name for Peter. Now, as far as we could tell, Peter had never shown up to the church of Corinth. So these people had never met Peter, but they heard about him. This is what our camp says. This is what our favorite school says. This is what they say over there. And we want to be just like that. We stand with Cephas. Then you had the worst group of all, I'm of Christ. Now it sounds really good, we're on Christ's side. But the way that they were presenting it is that we're right and you are wrong. Now inside of the house of the Lord, that's not a good position because that puts divisions. By the way, the Bible's clear in the book of Proverbs that the only source of contention is pride. Only by pride cometh forth contention. Pride is a big source or a big evidence of carnality. You see, we're either looking at God together. That's where unity comes when we're all looking at God. But when we're looking at ourselves, we're looking at our studies, we're looking at our favorite preacher, we're looking at our favorite internet, we're looking at our favorite school, we're looking at our, very, uh, our favorite school of thought. We have envying, strife, divisions, and it is evidence of carnality. What's an evidence of spirituality when you submit to biblical authority? Looking unto God, trusting God. People have a hard time with that. My pastor doesn't do this right. And I don't like the way he says this. And I don't like the way he combs his hair. Oh, and that group over there, I know that they think they're spiritual. But you know, they don't know what I know. It's evidence of a carnality. It smells, it stinks. Paul was able to smell it out and he said, listen... Guys, I'd love to talk to you about great things. I'd love to talk to you about some great doctrines. I'd love to dive in deep, but I can't. I have to give you the milk. The milk of the word is what the Bible gives a reference to later on. In fact, another message of Paul that Paul is actually talking about a deeper things inside of the book of Hebrews. And he's talking about Mechizedek. Oh, let me tell you about Mechizedek. Let me lay this up. And he starts going. And in the middle of the message, they all start falling asleep. And he gets mad, says, wake up. Listen, you should be teachers now, but I get to give you the milk of the word. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be enjoying my talk about Melchizedek. This is the same idea here. He says, I'd love to talk to you about Melchizedek. I'd love to talk to you about these other things. But instead, I've got to give you the milk of the word. Read your Bible. Pray. Be faithful to a local house of God. Not just meet out in the woods somewhere. You need to assemble together. He goes and says, I'd love to talk to you about these things, but I got to go back to the basics because you're having problems with the basics. Submit to biblical authority. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep looking at him. Stop looking at yourself. He says, I've got to go back to the basics. And I know that you're mad at me because I'm teaching the basics, but this is where we're at. You're a carnal church. You're a carnal people. And I got to speak to you as carnal. Again, verse 4, speaking about those divisions. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now, some of those people in the church may say, listen, I backed you all the way, Paul. I told them that we need to stand with Paul. And the other group, oh, listen, I told them that we need to stand with Apollos. Do you know both Paul and Apollos would absolutely be ashamed of how this church is behaving? Don't use my name for your divisions. I don't support this at all. And he says, but since you're carnal, I got to speak to you as, as baby Christians. And so he says, the problem is these divisions. 
These divisions need to be handled. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. So he's going to preach a message in chapter number three with the purpose of saying, let's all get our eyes on the Lord. Get them off of me. Get them off of Paulus. Get them off Peter. Get them off your favorite school, your favorite school of thought, your favorite library, your favorite internet preacher. Let's just put them on the Lord and let's follow God together. Notice if you don't mind, the next thing we see here is that God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Notice with me in chapter five, uh, chapter three and verse five. When, who is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave every man. So in verse five, he says, who's Paul and who's Apollos? We're the guys who led you to the Lord. Either I led you to the Lord, Apollos led you to the Lord for the most, uh, for the most part in this church. Paul led you to the Lord, Apollos led you to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who are we though? We're just ministers. We're just servants. We're just someone who is used of God. He goes on, verse 6, For or I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God give the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man should receive his own reward according to his own labor. He said, Paul's not anything special. Paulus isn't anything special. That when Paul led you to the Lord, he said, there's nothing special that you got. When Apollos led you to the Lord, you don't get a special gold star that said, Apollos is the one who led me. No, because Apollos didn't do anything but be obedient to the Lord. And Paul didn't do anything to be obedient to the Lord. Paul couldn't save you. Apollos can't save you. God does the saving. All we are is ministers, servants. We're just doing what God told us to do. And God gave us the privilege of being used as an instrument for you to get saved. But we didn't save you. God saved you. He did all the work. I was just there when it happened. I was just there to be the tool. It's God that gets the credit. Get your eyes off your favorite preacher. Get your eyes off this person. Get your eyes off this person. Put your eyes on the Lord because that's the guy who does everything. Put your eyes on the Lord. Everyone should be looking at God. Not on this and that and the other thing. Verse number nine, for we are laborers together. We are laborers together. In verse eight, it says we shall receive a reward according to his own labor. That we are going to be judged based off the labor we did. It's God that does the work. God does the saving. God that gives the increase. All we can do is make ourselves available for God to use and be obedient. And as we're obedient to tell this person about the Lord, that God judges us based off our obedience. Now, if, God, if they accept the Lord, great. If they don't accept the Lord, great. I mean, we wish they did. But as for us, our job was to be obedient. It could be that you were the one who planted. Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered. That carries the idea that there were some of the people within the church of Corinth that Paul led to the Lord, or witness to, witness to, witness to. And then Paul, or Apollos came and he preached a message and they said, man, I've never heard it like that before. Paul says, that was the same message I preached. But someone else was used and they got saved because of that. Now it was God that did the saving. He just used a different instrument. But Paul's labors were just as important as Apollos' labors. They were just being obedient to the Lord. It wasn't who led you to the Lord. It was the God that did the saving. Amen. We're labors together. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Now God shows them that not only you labors together. Not only are, are we the farmer. We're also the field. We're God's building. Carnality has no place in God's work because it's all about God. Now to illustrate this, starting in verse 10, God begins to explain the five parts of God's building. Now he said, you are God's building. He's talking about the local church of Corinth. We can apply that to the local church of the Riverview Baptist Church, the local church of this. That local church, there are five parts to that local church that is being put together that God is trying to assemble for his house, 
for his building that God is trying to do. Notice if you don't mind these five parts to this local church, this building, including the church of Corinth and also applied to us here. First of all, we have the master builder, the master builder. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Notice this. There is a head architect. Now the architect is working for God. In this, we have a human leader that God has placed to be the human architect, the human leader of that local church. Now, for those of people who believe in not a local church, well, then you have a hard time with this passage because who is a human architect of an invisible church? There has to be something assembled there. There has to be a human leader. It's definitely not the Pope. We're not talking about some human leader over all Christendom. It's talking about that local church, boots on the ground, someone who's there helping direct traffic, someone who's answerable to God. By the way, the pastor is answerable to God. Someone who's helping direct traffic, who is organizing the efforts, who's putting things together, who's making sure that all things are correct. God is the one giving the instructions. The master builder is carrying it out. And putting there, notice again at the very top of it in verse number 10, according to the grace of God. Who's the one that puts the master builder in charge? According to the grace of God, it's God that does it. God says, this is my architect for this building for this time. And I'm placing him here. He's in charge. He's helping organize the efforts. He's got boots on the ground. He's got a visible person of authority that people could answer to. A visible person who could direct traffic. This is why a pastor is so important. God has placed that pastor as a architect, as a wise master builder, someone who's answerable to God, but a human leader to help direct traffic within that local church. When the apostle Paul, who was the founder of the church of Corinth, that's what God did with him as that he was there boots on the ground, got to see those things put fit, put uh, together as he organized those efforts, as he uh, directed people, one people of the Lord, discipled them, helped train them, helped put them in positions, tried to equip them. It was his job as the wise master builder under the grace of God. And that if we're going to be the part of God's building that we ought to be, there is going to be a wise master builder. There has to be someone who's answerable and accountable to God and is able to carry out what God desires for that local church. Notice, if you don't mind, not only is there a wise master builder, but there is a foundation, a foundation. Verse number 10, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus said very clearly, I will build my church. Jesus didn't say you will build my church. He didn't say I will build your church. He didn't say you will build your church. Jesus clearly said, I, Jesus, will build my church. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. He died on the cross to allow us to have salvation. He died on the cross to allow us to have reconciliation between God and man. And he has died on the cross, giving us a purpose so we could carry out his great commission, doing what he's asked us to do. But the foundation of the local church is Jesus Christ. Everyone has that same foundation. There's no one who's a part of a local church if it's running right, who didn't get saved first. That's the direction. They have to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we're all on the same ground. Jesus died for us. We're not here because how great we are. God didn't put us inside the building because he saw something masterful because of the money, the influence we had. We were all sinners who needed to get saved by grace. And we're built off the same foundation and we build off that foundation together. Notice, if you don't mind, we have a third element here inside of God's building. We have the wise master builder. We have the foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have laborers, laborers. 
They join the master builder and build upon the foundation. Notice again in verse number 10. It says, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So as they're joining with them, they're building upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they put it together. Now with this, we understand there is only one ministry within a church. There's no room for people's own agendas. Now we have different aspects that we do of that one ministry, but God has one thing he's trying to get across in his church. It's not pastor's church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. And we are finding our place in what God wants to get accomplished through this local assembly. So we have a wise master builder, the human architect, the person God has placed in charge to make sure he's following God's instructions and ordering those instructions out. We have the same foundation, the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ that everyone builds upon. We all have that same ground. Then we have labors that we are working together with that wise master builder to do our part in seeing this local church built the way that God desires it to be. Now, again, it only happens if we're all looking at the Lord. If we're all trying to do our own little thing, let's just say that someone's building some walls over here and these people have a different idea of walls. What's going to happen in a physical building if everybody has their own idea of how to build walls? It's not going to go well. It's not going to fit together. Can you imagine in Wisconsin if someone built their own uh, element of a wall the way that they thought and then the snowstorm comes? It's going to be cold in here. It's not going to work right. That the wise master builder, the architect, helps direct traffic, but he's pointing out these are God's plans, not my plans. This is how God wants it put together. We need to be working alongside each other, looking at him, trying to do his plan, God's desire, God's design. We also see that we have to have the right materials, the right materials. Now the Corinthians had a great knowledge in precious metals as a building material. Corinthian brass was sometimes worth more than gold in the ancient world. So remember he's talking to the Corinthians. They're hardworking people. They, they made lots of money and partly it was because of the building material, this Corinthian brass, it was worth a lot. The Corinthian brass, they, these, when the Apostle Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking their language. They understand how important building materials are. And so when he's trying to get across that we have to have the right materials, this rings a bell for them. They understand this. Notice if you don't mind in verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, now, we could see in verse 12 the different building materials. Now, in 21st century America, this is foreign to us when we see these other um, building materials. We have building codes. We have fire inspections. We have electricians come in. We have city planners that come. We do all of that for each of the buildings to double check that we're up to code, to make sure that the walls aren't going to cave in, to make sure that the emergency doors, the, uh, everything is set into place. But in the ancient world, they didn't have building codes. In the ancient world, they didn't have the, they would build with whatever materials they had available. And so if you are a poor person, you may build your house out of sticks. If you are a poor person, you may build your house out of straw. If you're a poor person, you may build your house out of stubble, of hay, of something. We've all seen pictures of, of some third world countries where they live in a grass hut. That's what they have to build off of. And we know that those building materials, they don't last under a fire. Give you two examples of great fires. Under Nero, just because he thought he could, when he burnt down Rome, Rome, the city just caught on fire and burnt quickly, especially in the poor regions of Rome, because most of the houses were built out of wood. And it just burnt all of Rome up. And so they had the big picture of when Rome uh, burnt, they had the saying that, uh, that Nero fiddled. Carries the idea he was actually thinking he was conducting a big play and all of the world was a stage at that time. But maybe another one, the great Chicago fire in the 1800s that 
what had happened is that some lady's cow knocked over her lantern, burnt down the barn, and then burnt down all of Chicago. Why? Because all of Chicago was made out of wood back then. Just burnt it all down. They just got out of fire and there was nothing they could do. There was nothing left. They had to rebuild from scratch. It just messed with everything. And so for the Corinthians, they would understand this in the ancient world. That if you had a, a shack made out of wood and I had a shack made out of sticks, not only could the wolf come and huff and puff and blow it down, but it wouldn't withstand a fire. But if you had some Corinthian brass and you could afford to make it out of good materials, that was something that was going to be tried by fire and not melt. That was something that the Corinthians would be proud of. Something the Corinthians could boast on. Our metals can withstand the heat. Our metals will not melt when you need it to stand. It was something, you know, if they had advertisements back then, that's the type of things they would advertise. You use Corinthian brass and you are using material that will never fail, that will never break, never melt. It will withstand. That would be something they would boast about. So here, the Corinthians would understand this very much. You use the right building materials. Verse 13, what are these building materials? It says, for every man's work shall be made manifest. That means to be made apparent. <clears throat> it's talking about with this building materials that we are going to be tried and our is going to be put together and it's going to show what sort it is is. Notice in verse 13, every man's work shall be manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If you don't mind, that brings us to the last thing as we're talking about the five parts that are building it together. We talked about the wise master builder. We talked about having the right foundation. We talked about the labors. We talked about having the right materials. But there's one more thing, having the right time frame. Having the right time frame. Notice if you don't mind in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. This day is a very important day. It is a specific day. This is the day that we stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for what we do. That we have to give an account for the labor we've done. Now, notice the context of this. Here it is specifically in the context of our labors inside of the local church. Do you know that if someone is not a faithful member of the local church, that they're going to be missing out on these rewards? They're going to be missing out because God is trying to get something accomplished and that we have a part to play inside of the local church to see something get accomplished. This judgment that is mentioned here specifically is in context of the local church. So there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be missing all of it because they're not plugged in. Notice if you don't mind, let's see some things about the day. This day is a future day when a saved man will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for every man. Every man that is saved will be here at this judgment. It will judge, first of all, a man's work. The day will judge a man's work, the product of a life. Three times in this passage, it speaks about a man's work. Now, again, this isn't our work to, in order to be saved. It's our work because we're saved. Our labor is going to be judged. Our labor for what God is doing inside of a local church will be judged. Notice if you don't mind, as we see some more. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. We could see that this day will make it manifest. That word manifest carries with it that it will be public and clearly seen. When we stand before God, all of our work will be public. Everyone will see our labor or our lack of labor. We see that this day declares. This idea of declares carries with it that it explains and clarify. God will explain why those works 
we're done. It will be apparent. There's a lot of times that we say, why am I doing this? It doesn't feel like anything is being done. I've been doing this. I've been passing out tracts and it just doesn't seem like it's going to work. At that day, it's going to declare it and say, this is what you were doing. This is what was happening. This is what was being done. That day will declare our labor. That would be encouraging to see that it wasn't wasted. There are plenty of times you may feel like, why am I doing this? Why am I keeping this up? It doesn't seem to be working. It's not getting the results I think it should have. God says, it's not in vain. I'm keeping track. And one day it's going to be exposed why I was having you do this. Notice as it goes on. It's that this day reveals Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. This idea of reveal that it brings to light, that everyone will see it. It will be fully known. This day will declare our labor and make it, bring it to light. There's a lot of people that say, well, my work is unnoticed. Nobody recognized. Nobody gives me a pat on the back. No one sees how great. No one's given me a plaque because of what I've been doing for the Lord. Well, during that day, everyone will see it. Every, it will be revealed to everyone and see that there are many people who have been laboring silently that God has been watching and those people will be brought up. Won't that be encouraging? That no one has a small job inside of the house of the Lord. Everyone has an important job as you're doing it as unto the Lord. Notice we see that this day tries. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work. This idea of try carries with it a trial. It examines and puts to test a quality of work. It's quality control. It's able to say, yes, this would stand. This makes sense. Now again, To the Corinthians who are known for the Corinthian brass, they would understand this. They would not want to send out an inferior piece of metal. They would not like to send out a piece of brass that was going to be brittle and fall apart. It needed to be tried, put to the test. They would understand this, that our work will be put to the test. It's going to be examined, test the quality of work. It's a day that will judge the worthy. Notice again, it says... If any man's work abide which he had built, he shall receive a reward. That when your work is put to the test and it's seen that it's good quality, it was done for the Lord, it was done with the right motive and God honors it, we're going to receive a reward that day for it. And God has plenty of rewards. And we've talked about before in our message of the millennial kingdom, some of these rewards. We're not going to do that now. We're just going to say that there's rewards for us that God will give to us because of our labor. But notice the day will judge the unworthy. Notice in verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so by fire. Notice in verse 15, you have a person that didn't labor for the Lord. This person's still going to heaven because they accepted Jesus as their savior. We're not being judged for our sins at this accounting. We're being judged for our labor for the Lord. And if somebody didn't do anything for the Lord, he's going to suffer a loss of rewards. There were things that God wanted to give to him, but now he's not going to get because he didn't labor for the Lord. We see here at this judgment seat of Christ, this is a big deal because our labor does matter and what we do in the church matters and that everyone has a part to play as there's a wise master builder that God has placed in charge of a local assembly to help direct traffic, to help put people in the positions to help direct as God is leading him because God's got a plan. God knows how to put this thing together and he's answerable to God. We have the foundation that all of us build upon and it's the foundation of Jesus Christ. We can't build off any other foundation other than salvation through Jesus' blood. We have laborers that are working alongside with us and as they're being directed and as God is putting them in place, everyone has a part to play. Everyone has something to do within a local church. We could see that we have to have the right materials that what we do for the Lord and the motive that we're doing is being tried. You could do things for the Lord, but be grumpy about it. It doesn't count. It's going to fall apart. And then there's going to be the actual judgment seat when it's all going to be said and done. 
Our work is going to be put on trial. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be made manifest. It's going to be put to the test. People are going to say, wow, I didn't know this person had been doing this the whole time. God's been keeping track. This is why I had you do this. You didn't think it was going to work, but God says it did. Look at what happened with this. That will be encouraging. And we're going to receive rewards for the things we did for the Lord, being obedient to him with the right motive. But those times that we didn't serve the Lord, those times that we could have served the Lord, we're going to receive loss of rewards during that time. We're going to realize that our labor was in vain because we didn't do anything. We thought we'd do it our own way. We didn't do it the way that God directed us to. Again, the whole problem here was divisions. You had people that thought they could do it better. So the whole purpose of this was to try to bring the church so everybody's eyes were on the Lord. It's all about following him. Follow him. Follow him. He knows what he's doing. Your labor's not in vain. Follow him. Let's stop these divisions. Let's stop the fight. It's causing a hindrance in the church. This church is not able to move forward with what God wants that church of Corinth to do. Because they're all distracted and looking at other things. Because they're looking at themselves that they're not moving forward. If you don't mind, this is a good time to follow up this judgment seat of Christ. We know that in 1 Corinthians, it's specifically talking about the judgment seat of Christ and we're being judged for our labor for the church. But notice we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, more explanation of the judgment seat and the other things that we do in our life. Notice with me, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and notice with me and verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Wherefore we labor. There's that idea of labor again. That we all have a job to do. There's all something for you to do within his local assembly. Wherefore we labor that whether being present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust are also made manifest in your consciences. So the Bible says that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account for what we have done on our body, whether it was good or whether it was bad. You see, everything you do has consequences. You have bad thoughts or you have thoughts that are not lining up with the Bible. You say, well, that doesn't affect everyone, but it does. You see, it may make you where you are not on spiritual ground and you miss an opportunity to witness to someone. It may mean that you're not on spiritual ground and now you speak gruffly to someone that you really needed to encourage. Even our thought life has consequences. Our other actions that we do have consequences. That it either pushes people further away from the Lord or draws them closer. What we do in our bodies does matter. And we will stand before God and we will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. And see all of our actions, all the things that we've done, both good and bad. And we're going to see the consequences of it. And again, we'll receive rewards or loss of rewards. Verse number 11 is very big. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. The result of this is that we should be telling people about the Lord. This is the one thing that God has given us to do is accomplish the Great Commission. Finding our spot and what God has given us to do and knowing I have to give an account and that he wants everyone saved. We need to be doing everything we can to be helping people get saved. And again, how does God do that? Through the local church. God has used the local church as his organization to reach the world in those communities and organizing our efforts. This is a big deal that we will stand before God and give an account. We know that we could all do better. That's a blanket statement. But if you were to stand before the Lord, what will your works look like? What is your labor? Now again, the whole purpose of what Paul was writing for under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was to ha- get rid of divisions and to put unity in the church. Do you know when we're going to be watching this church grow amazingly? When we're all looking at the Lord. When we all have our eyes on him. When we're not squabbling or fighting, trying to prove our own positions, thinking that we're right, trying to overthrow the wise master builder. 
but we're working together and laboring together, saying we all have a part to play. God has given, made us and put us in this church for a reason. There's no accidents. If God placed you inside of this local church, he has a plan for you inside of this local church. And that we find our part. We let God direct us and watch God grow us and watch this church move forward with what God wants to get accomplished. That's his business. Our job is just to follow after him. But again, the purpose of it was to have unity in the church. Get rid of the divisions. Get rid of the strife. Get rid of the envies. Get rid of the carnality. Get rid of the people saying, well, I know what's better. Not just surrender what we think and follow after him. And let God guide us. Let God lead us. Let God work. And we can trust him. We've been saying for a while now that the greatest days of this church are still ahead. How can we say that? Because I believe that we've been working hard at trying to keep our eyes on the Lord. Following and realizing every single one of you have a part to play. Every single one of you have a spot that God has made for you in this local church to help this local church accomplish what God has given us to do inside of the Great Commission. The greatest days are still ahead. And let's just keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's recognize when carnality comes up and get our eyes back on the Lord. Let's recognize when divisions and stripes come up and get our eyes back on the Lord. That's the biggest deal right now. Trust that God knows what he's doing and that it's God who does the work. It's God that directs the work. It's all about the Lord. Less about us than what we truly think. We can trust God, as we saw in chapter 2, to let his spirit get accomplished what he wants to get done. We can be used as an instrument, but it's God that does the work. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.